Al Jazeera podcast. It's election season in Spain, and Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez and opposition leader Alberto Núñez Feijo are going head to head in a televised debate. The candidates are furiously tackling topics ranging from the economy, housing, and the environment to women's and LGBTQ rights. You've made your living by eliminating parity for council members and LGBTQ and gender equity policies in municipalities and autonomous communities. It's all culminating in a chaotic back and forth with plenty of interruptions and hurled insults. Prime Minister Sanchez called this snap election four months ahead of schedule. His socialist government has made great strides for progressives, But the rising tide of the right in Europe is gaining momentum in Spain, too. So will the gamble pay off? I'm Malika Pilal, and this is The Take. My name is Begoña Gomez Urzaiz. I'm an author and journalist, and I am based in Barcelona. Begonia, welcome back to The Take. It's good to have you back on the podcast. So Spain's elections are set for July 23rd. That's in just a couple days. Yeah. What is the atmosphere like where you are? Does it feel like an election? It does feel like an election. And I would say the atmosphere is heated metaphorically and literally. We're experiencing now probably what is the third or the fourth, I'm losing count, heat wave of the summer and the most brutal one. And the campaign is also very heated and very aggressive. Maybe both things are related. (laughs) So walk me through the streets of Barcelona and your neighborhood. What would I see that would indicate an election is coming up? You would see a lot of posters and a lot of banners and stickers, mostly from the four main parties, but also from loads of local and Catalan parties that also concur to the election. The the Spanish electoral system is is very complex. So you couldn't ignore that an election is coming even if you tried, it sounds like. You couldn't ignore it at all. You know, you open your social networks or, or you switch on the TV We're very much in electoral mode. Let's talk about the candidates. The two biggest contenders are the Democratic Socialist Party, led by current Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez, Mm -hmm. and the Conservative Popular Party, or PP, led by Alberto Núñez Feijo. Prime Minister Sanchez is often seen as a risk-taker and a political survivor in Spain. What more can you tell us about him? Well, he's 51. He's very handsome, as you can see, which has garnered him certain uh, popularity abroad when, when he goes to international summits. In fact, there's like a parody Twitter account that's called Mr. Handsome. And he- <laughs> okay, wait, wait, I have to pause you. Because we are audio, please describe your prime minister for me. Well, he kind of looks like, almost like a telenovela, um, like Mm. a matinee idol, I would say. I would say he's got like an old school good looks, but undeniable good looks, I would say. Okay, so continue. 
<laughs> right. This sounded very frivolous. Um, <laughs> he belongs to the Socialist Party since his youth, but he was never in the upper echelons. And the fact that he became leader was very unsuspected. In fact, he was once evicted from the leadership of the party and he sort of came back to power doing a bit of a gimmick. He took his own car, a very mid-range average car, and drove all over Spain, town by town, convincing the, the socialists to, to put him back in power. And that's a quality that has gone with him through his, his political career. He's a bit of a comeback kid, like like they used to say in the States about Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. He, he rose to power due a vote of no confidence. That was also quite unexpected, but then he was voted uh, prime minister again. And he's known for these bold moves. In fact, calling this snap election was a bit of an unexpected bold move. I have communicated to the head of state the decision to convene a council of ministers this afternoon to dissolve the courts and proceed in the convening of the general elections. Tell me more about the bold moves, because I know when people talk about that, that includes the fact that he is pro-women's rights and LGBTQ rights. What do those bold moves look like? This government, which was a coalition government, is very important to say that because that has been both a strength and, and sort of a frailty for them. Uh, it was a coalition of this socialist party with another party, Unidas Podemos, says that it's to its left. So this other party especially pushed for these more progressive policies. Pedro Sánchez is a well-known feminist, but probably without the help of this other party that was pushing, he wouldn't have passed some very interesting pioneer progressive legislation that has been put in place during these past four years in Spain. Things like the so-called trans law. The landmark transgender rights bill was approved by parliament, making Spain one of the few countries in the world that recognized gender self-determination via administrative declaration. Or things like the so-called sexual freedom law that is around the idea of sexual consent. His tenure also, of course, includes the pandemic and the war in Ukraine. How do people rate him on those two things? Well, yeah, those are probably two of the reasons that might cost him the election. The fact that these two things combine have caused the inflation to go up, like in the rest of Europe, unlike in the rest of the Western world. They've made people effectively poorer, even though his policies, I would say, were quite successful, especially regarding the pandemic. A lot of people kept their jobs through the pandemic. And also, for example, the vaccination rollout was very successful in Spain compared to other countries. So would you say that overall, people believe he's done a decent job? Well, he's very polarizing. What happens is there are some people who have benefited from these policies. So sometimes I'd say in politics, it's a cliche when politicians say, we did the right thing, but we didn't know how to communicate it. We didn't know how to get across to the people. Mm. It's a bit of a lazy cliche that they let go. But I would say in this case, it's probably right. Which might explain the elections. These elections next week are actually snap elections called by the prime minister himself. Mm -hmm. What led to that decision? You mentioned earlier it was a surprise. They definitely took everyone by surprise. The day they were called, nobody was expecting it. 
They were called mainly for one reason, is that the day before they were called, there was a local and regional election at the end of May that went very poorly for the Socialist Party. It was expected to go poorly, but it went even worse. Spain has turned to the right in municipal and regional elections. The centre-right popular party won across the board. For the PSOE, the Socialist Party of Prime Minister Pedro Sánchez, these results show the Spanish people's discontent with the current government. They are not minor elections and they went very poorly for them. After that, Pedro Sánchez sort of, it was a bit of a gamble on his part. He's, he could have stayed in power until the end of the year, effectively and legally. Mm -hmm. But political commentators reckon he made a calculation that, to see if he could capitalize this boldness and also the fact that it would take his opponents by surprise and they would have less time to effectively prepare a, a campaign. Why is it that the Socialist Party performs so poorly in these local and regional elections? I think a lot of voters voted in not for their regional leaders only, but also as a response to Pedro Sánchez himself. I would say there were several reasons. One of them is inflation, and we were saying uh, Pedro Sánchez is always saying, which I think irks a lot of a lot of voters, that the economy is working like a moto, like a scooter. Esto quiere decir que la economía española va bien? No. Esto quiere decir que la economía española va como una moto. It's a bit of a silly Spanish expression, which means in full swing, that the economy is in full swing. <laughs> if you look at the macroeconomic numbers, it might look like that. But mortgages are going up, there's a huge housing crisis, rents are going up, salaries are low. So folks just don't have enough money to get by to make it till the end of the month and pay for their groceries and everything. The inflation figure released, the highest since 1985, essentially confirmed what a lot of Spaniards were already feeling, that prices are going up right across the board. But also, all those progressive policies have irritated some conservative segments of society. In some cases, I would say more than conservative, I'd call them reactionary, who disapprove of these socially progressive policies. For example, there was a very controversial law, the sexual consent law that we were talking about. Only yes means yes. That's the name of the new legislation given the green light by Spain's parliament in a move aimed at toughening its rape laws. The sexual consent law was very important, but it also created a legal loophole that meant that some actually uh, convicted rapists that were already in prison for known crimes got to cut their jail time. So they got out of jail. And it was a bit of a legal mistake or a miscalculation in the part of the government. And the government is actually not defending this law. They're not defending their legacy, which is a bit of a shame. And even this party to the left of the socialist government are not even defending this legacy either. Whereas the opposition is very much using it to attack the government even though it's a progressive law that ultimately will protect women from any sexual relationship held without full consent, mm -hmm. even though it might be a beneficial law for women, the way society have perceived it is as the law that put rapists in the street. Oh, wow. The conservatives are repeating this message over and over. 
117 rapists have been freed. The problem that you have and that would haunt you forever is that there are more than 1,150 rapists and pedophiles that have seen their sentences reduced. That explains why I have seen pictures of billboards in Spain from the opposition. Yes. The one that I'm looking at now with the supposed rapist with his his hand around a woman's face and neck. Right. The wording says, Sanchez has put hundreds of these monsters on the street. Yeah, these banners, they've they've become a, a phenomenon in these... In this election, parties are hiring, like basically they pay money to apartment blocks, apartment buildings to be allowed to put on huge banners. And these banners are very aggressive and I would say very unsophisticated political messages. The ones leading the, the war on banners are the far right. Another actually was investigated by courts because it could count as a hate crime was a a very controversial banner that showed symbols like the LGBTQ flag or the feminism symbol or even the Catalan flag Mm. being thrown into a bin. As in, this is what we're going to do when we're in power. We're going to throw all of this in the bin, LGBTQ community and women and Catalans and Basques. More on the parties behind the banners after the break. On the Inside Story podcast this week, Israel says it recognises Morocco's sovereignty over Western Sahara. What does this move mean? And what will Israel get in return? Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So, Begonia, according to polls, the Prime Minister's opponent, Alberto Núñez Fejo, is set to win these elections comfortably. What has led Fejo to this moment in his career? What should we know about him and why he may very well be the next prime minister of Spain? Yeah, his route has been interesting. He's not that well known in the center of power in Madrid because he's only been the leader of the PP for a year. Before that, he developed all of his career in the northeast, in Galicia, a region that, like Catalonia, the Basque country, has its own culture, its own language. He's seen more as a manager, and that's also the image he wants to portray, not like an ideologist, not a born politician. Mm. He's not particularly charismatic or a brilliant speaker, but he nonetheless, he's managing to communicate all these messages. He has suffered in this campaign because he seems to have some trouble with the truth. He lets go data that are simply not correct and he doesn't accept when, for example, journalists uh, correct him live and they say, no, no, what you're saying is not true. And he insists it's true and then he's had to make some correction in Twitter. Hmm. The reason Fejo's party is likely to get the winning number of votes is because of this unusual alliance with Spain's far-right party, Vox. So who are Vox? What do they stand for? Yeah, I'm glad you say it's unusual because, as you know, in the rest of Europe, famously in France for many years, they have this thing called the Cordon Sanitaire, where they make sure that conservative parties, traditional conservative, even right-wing parties, do not make alliances with the racist, sexist, transphobic, far-right. But this has not happened in Spain. 
The far right is a relatively new phenomenon in Spain. And the traditional center-right party, the PP, has welcomed them with open arms. And in fact, they are forming now regional governments with them all over Spain. So yeah, this is what is different also about this election because their only hope of getting the government is by forming a coalition with Vox. Otherwise, they won't likely have enough of a majority. So then do you think this is more about ensuring a win versus actual ideological alliances between these two? It's a bit of both. There are ideological alliances in the sense that Vox could be called a spin-off of the PP. Their current leader, Santiago Abascal, used to be a member of the PP, and many of their leaders come from the PP. Many don't come from the PP, and those are actually more worrisome because some of them come from actual fascist organizations. But it's a bit of both. They also need them. They're not the best friends at the moment. In fact, there's been a lot of tension to form these regional governments but they are nonetheless uh, forming them everywhere. And for example, the new Minister for Culture in the Valencia region is a former bullfighter who is extreme right-wing. Uh, he's famous because he mm. owns a horse and he named his horse Duce, as in Mussolini. Oh, so these wow. are people who are not hiding their affiliations. The campaign, as I said in the beginning, has been very aggressive. One tool that they've somewhat unexpectedly used, and it was very effective in this local and regional election, and is being very effective again, and it's surprising, it's resuscitating the ghost of ETA, the Basque terrorist group that is now defunct. But the host party and also Vox have been very successful in resuscitating this ghost. In fact, this has worked even at a very mass popular level. I believe that you've heard this chant to the tune of Seven Nation Army, mm. the one that says, Que te vote chapote. What it's literally saying is, let chapote vote you. Chapote was a leader of this terrorist party, and this has become viral. There are like... 14-year-old kids, there are people singing it in weddings that don't even know what it means, that were barely alive when ETA was still uh, killing. Wow. So it's become a viral phenomenon. What could be at stake for people in Spain if Vox does come to power in this alliance? I would say there is a lot at stake in terms of rights. Things like like abortion laws, for example, are very much enshrined in the Constitution. So they're going to have it harder than they think or than they hope, maybe, to abolish some laws. But nonetheless, it can cause a lot of harm to minorities, to migrants. People might lose the rights that have been conquered in the last 15, 20 years. There's still that danger. Maybe... Maybe Spain is not as, as progressive as it likes itself to be seen. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Sonia Bagat and Ashish Malhotra, with Khaled Sultan, David Enders, Amy Walters, Chloe K. Lee, Miranda Lynn, Perenisa Campana, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. 
We'll be back. 